Hello everyone, my name is Michael and welcome to this week's edition of the Weekly Climate. The US is taking a severe beating these days. Two hurricanes entering the Gulf, more than 500 wildfires burning in California alone, along with heat waves triggering blackouts in California, a COVID situation that appeared totally out of control, and a president and the fossil fuel industry for that matter, that appears to be taking pages out of Hitler's playbooks. The news about what's happening with the postal service is especially scary. Uh, my thoughts and prayers go to the people in the US these days. Although COVID is probably not climate change related, just about everything else about the US's misery is. What's happening in the US right now appears to be dress rehearsal for the entire world. In this week's edition, I decided to add a section on stories we follow, which is basically an update on stories from previous editions of the newsletter. In this case, we keep a close eye on the situation in California, both regarding the wildfire, but also in terms of their recent power troubles amidst the heatwave and the US election as well. And now for a quick summary. A couple of major news items has filled this week. First of all, California's woes with blackouts and wildfires. The US presidential election following Biden's climate change betrayal and later retraction. And a lot of debate and articles about green hydrogen. There was also a number of developments surrounding sustainable investments. Both good from the EU and bad from the US. Alright, on to the main content. If you can read only one article this week. The most important article this week is actually two podcasts. I know, I know. I'm still experimenting with the best way to write this newsletter, so I hope you'll bear with me. Trust me, this is probably the most important, mind-boggling and positive learning that I've learned about climate change for quite a while. The common theme of the two podcasts is that in order to solve climate change, we don't need to do it for the sake of climate change. We need to do it for health and economic reasons. And here's the punchline. Alone. We need to do it for health and economic reasons alone. We don't need climate change to see that rapid decarbonization is the right way to go. Obviously, I'm doing it for climate change, and probably so are you. But we as a society don't need to do it just for the sake of climate change. Okay, here are the two podcasts. In the Energy Gang episode this week, the gang goes through a study that shows that air pollution is way more damaging to our health than we thought, which I also shared last week. The crucial point that the Energy Gang hammer home here is the fact that even if no other country follows along with similar policies for climate change reasons, the health benefits alone will more than pay for those decarbonizing policies. The study shows that even if the US was the only country which follows a two centigrade pathway, then the US would still get the health benefits and thus societal and economic cost savings that comes for that. Why is this important? This is important because it just shows that whether you look at it from a climate or health perspective, the solution is the same. Massive decarbonization and getting to zero emissions as fast as possible, even in the local economies. You can throw climate change in the bin and even then will the right thing be to decarbonize and get to zero emissions. This is so important because it gives us yet another argument against inactive politicians that they possibly can't ignore. And it gives politicians supporters of the cause an argument that opposition can't possibly argue with economics and public health interests. To take a low-key pragmatic example, the gang discusses Chicago, which exchanged their buses with electric ones, which saved the city $40,000 a year apiece in reduced health costs, and so on. 
which means that the bus has paid for itself in less than five years. And in the newsletter, we link to the exact spot in the Energy Gang podcast where I discuss this. But in fact, the whole podcast is, is, is highly worthwhile listening to. The other podcast, Gimlet Media's new How to Save a Planet, touches on the same thing but from a micro angle. It tells the story of Somerset, Massachusetts, which had a big coal power plant that everybody in the city knew and loved. Why? Because it provided a big tax revenue to the city. This meant that Somerset had all the amenities of a big city. That in itself is an interesting story about the human side of climate change, but that's not the point I want to make here. So the story continues, and in the early 2000s, fracking came along, and with lower prices for fossil gas, the beloved coal plant got killed. The city had to fix a gaping hole in the budget, and they turned to the most profitable source they could find, offshore wind. Did Somerset pick wind because of climate change? No, they did it because it makes the most economic and societal sense. And now the stories we follow. The first story we follow is California power outages amidst the heat waves. California has experienced a series of rolling blackouts this past week as a result of high power demand and a few mishaps. What we know is that power demand was high, but not higher than usual when solar started to drop during the evening and a fossil gas power plant went unexpectedly offline. This story is interesting because it allows us to peek into the future where heatwave is the new normal, coupled with high renewable energy penetration. The blame game is obviously on. It's clear that the classic renewable intermittency problem did play a role. Yes, as the sun went down, solar power output did drop, as one would expect. That was when the grid operator relied on a fossil gas plant, which unexpectedly went offline. So in cases of high power demand, you need either storage or some other technologies to come online. Everybody knows that. And this is what makes it so sad that California in 2012 took a nuclear power plant offline, approximately 2.2 gigawatts, and are not extending another nuclear power plant's license. So who's really to blame? Renewables and the intermittency? The fossil gas plant for not working in the heat? Or the utility or grid operator for not planning properly? But you know who could be the saviors? You and me. Prior to the outages, the grid operator sent out alerts asking consumers to lower their power demand, and it worked. It reduced the power consumption by almost 4 to 5,000 megawatts, 10% of total power consumption. Unfortunately, though, it wasn't enough to actually stop the outages, but still, it shows that consumers and industry are willing to reduce their power consumption when required. Demand response for the win. The second story we follow is the US presidential election. The US is a major emitter and are currently run by a narcissistic fascist. We need a change, and after Joe Biden was elected as a Democratic candidate, that change has to be him. Hence, we keep a close watch on his climate aspirations. And as New York Times reports that climate donors rushed to Biden in an attempt to counter Trump's fossil fuel donors, which we discussed last week. Unfortunately, still outnumbered in donation, climate donors are a substantial part of Biden's campaign funding. That's also why it was so shocking to learn earlier this week that the Democratic National Committee has silently dropped language in its plan to end fossil fuel subsidies. Emily Atkin of Heated Newsletter called it the Democrats' climate betrayal, which is pretty accurate. Recall that fossil fuel subsidies in the US currently amounts to $20 billion and up to $649 billion, depending on how it's calculated. Biden later said he was still committed to ending fossil fuel subsidies, but it remained a mystery whether the party is as well. 
And now for some climate and science news. The highest temperature recorded at least since 1931 was recorded in Death Valley on August 16, 130 Fahrenheit or 59 centigrade. That's quite a lot. California currently has more than 500 wildfires burning. 100,000 people are evacuated. Big Basin National Park, which is California's oldest state park, along with Joshua Tree, is burning. Two wildfire complexes have grown to become the second and third largest wildfires ever during this past week. Many of these, although started by a lightning siege of over 11,000 lightning strikes in just 72 hours, the blame is still put on climate change for exacerbating the problem with intense dryness and heat waves. Many, although richer residents, are even taking to largely unproven ways to protect their homes, using anything from untested and according to a Santa Barbara lawsuit, toxic fire retardant spray, to hiring private firefighters. Yes, that last one was Kanye West. And on the other end of the scale, we have China and much of Asia, which, which is expected to suffer greatly from flooding in the coming years. Already this year, flooding along Brahmaputra River has displaced 3 million people in India and 25% of Bangladesh is underwater. And we have a bit more on this in the later section. And now for technology news. Hydrogen is hot these days. Haha, <laughs> pun intended. However, as GreenTech Media notes, many major utilities such as Ørsted does not expect to profit from hydrogen investments anytime soon. In a recent earnings call, Ørsted CEO doesn't expect profits from hydrogen investments this side of 2025. Hydrogen is interesting as it would promise solutions for harder to decarbonize sectors such as aviation. And for more information on hydrogen, check out this week's member-only My Climate Journey podcast for a greater discussion about hydrogen. See the podcast section later. And we're also going to talk more about hydrogen in the startup section. A new study shows that if electric vehicles in the U.S. replace 25% of combustion engine cars, the U.S. would save $17 billion annually due to avoided damages from climate change and air pollution. If raised to 75%, savings amount to $70 billion annually. In addition to the savings in dollars, the U.S. would also save hundreds or thousands of lives. This one is also related to a story from last week in which a study indicated that $700 billion could be saved annually by the U.S. alone in a zero-carbon world. Der Spiegel interviewed two energy experts, one pro-nuclear and one anti-nuclear. And if you ignore the interviewer's silly questions, such as suggesting fossil gas plants as a climate solution or a bridge fuel, then the interview is actually rather interesting. I think it covers many of the major debates regarding nuclear or not. In my humble opinion, keeping whatever nuclear we have is great. Building new plants are also great. Whatever we can do to keep cleaning our electricity grids. The main question is whether it can be done in time to make a difference. And now for some startup news. A company called 5D Energy, which is a collaboration between Snyder Electric and Hawk Capital, launches a no-money-down solar storage and backup power for small and medium commercial and industrial CNI customers. As we've seen in California, backup power in the light of increasing extreme weather events might be an important selling point. One can only hope that they find a clean source to use. The first IPO in the green hydrogen space is being planned in Australia. 
The company Infinite Blue Energy plans to IPO in Q1 of 2021 on the Australian ASX. Production from their first plant is expected to go live in 2022. Northvolt, the Swedish battery plant startup started by two former Tesla execs, gets a $525 million loan guarantee from Germany for their Northvolt 2 plant, which are planned in Salzgitter, Germany. The plant will be operated together with Volkswagen and BMW there. And more battery news. Tesla no longer has the largest battery. A company called LS Power just beat Tesla's Hornsdale battery in Australia. The battery is deployed in California and can charge or discharge 230 megawatt. This comes at a particular crucial time as noted earlier because of the Reedon California heatwave outages. At the time of the outages, the battery had only stored 140 megawatt hours because of the increased power demand on the grid. And now for some investing news. The fossil fuel industry relies heavily on being able to borrow money from banks in order to be able to extract fossil fuels. That is in fact what the whole divestment movement is all about. To make the banks take notice of the fossil fuel stock price and hence make fossil fuel industry investments look unprofitable. Now, new legislation in the EU aims to pick that up a notch. If passed, asset managers may be required to quantify and disclose how much of their holdings degrade the environment. This is great news and it could provide a much needed climate upgrade to the ESG rating system. Related, in the US it seems like the SASB metrics, which is voluntary, is picking up steam. And you should also check out this week's Drilled Podcast episode, which goes into detail about a new rule Trump is instating. And the latter one is not very good. And now for some news about major carbon emitters. In the recent weeks, the oil spill in Mauritius has garnered a lot of attention, but a new one in Venezuela is more mysterious. On August 2nd, locals noticed the oil spill on the shores of the Falcon State. Nobody seems to know where it's coming from, or they're not telling at least. That's why Venezuela's National Assembly, the only institution which is not controlled by the government, opened an investigation into the spill. It seems likely that the spill came from nearby El Palito oil refinery, as satellite images showed an oil slick near the refinery on July 22nd. Researchers fear it will take half a century to clean. Calling all U.S. citizens, you are under attack. As expected during the U.S. election, the fossil fuel lobby, American Petroleum Institute, API, you know, the guys behind the Victory Memo propaganda plan, Action New and more, are running ads targeting 25 to 34-year-olds that promotes fossil gas as clean. Hint, it's not. Even Shell are hesitant to market fossil gas as clean. The day after Joe Biden revealed his climate plan, the API 6X'd its ad spend on Facebook. Natural gas is already clean, affordable and efficient, and it's getting better every day, as one ad says. I mean, come on. In a detailed piece, The Guardian reports how the gas industry is waging war against climate action. Yes, we already knew they were doing that, but it's good to know the details. In it, they draw on several reports that indicate how the API of fossil gas called American Gas Association, AGA, and American Public Gas Association, APGA, 
has relied on classic techniques to spread its propaganda messaging about fossil gas. For instance, in an Instagram campaign, they played influencers to hashtag cooking with gas. It also describes how the AGA and APGA mobilized a lobbying firm to explicitly work against the environmental groups. By now, unfortunately, news like this is not really very surprising. Everyone knows that the fossil fuel industry fights dirty to win their war against humanity. We talk a lot about aviation's need to decarbonize, but shipping is a big emitter too. Currently, worldwide shipping emits 3% of the world's carbon emissions. In a Bloomberg Green article, they discuss the possible technology paths that shipping can go from ammonia to nuclear. And now for some news about politics. Greta Thunberg wrote a piece in The Guardian summing up the past two years of climate action. And unfortunately, one has to agree with her that there is a lot of talk, but apparently no or little will to take any considerable action. Last month, Greta and a group of activists wrote an open letter to the global leaders with demands about what they must do to contribute to stop the climate crisis. On Thursday, August 20, the group met with Angela Merkel, who now holds the presidency of the European Council, to deliver the letter. And while they appear to agree on the scale of the problem, they do not appear to be in any agreement about how to solve it. For instance, political leaders believe it to be unthinkable to introduce a carbon tax that will have any effect at all. I really love Emily Atkins' reporting in her newsletter, Heated.World. This week, she published a particular interesting way to describe a great program that they are running in the US. The program helps low-income families pay their electricity bill in exchange for the government being allowed to inspect their house and upgrade it in terms of insulations and other energy-related matters. This is especially important these days, as many families in the US struggles with paying their electricity bill after COVID-19. Also, Emily amazingly shows that anything, even this VAP song, can be turned into a climate story. The fascist in the Oval Office has signed an executive order that enables oil and gas companies to drill in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. No further comments. A new book by Jason Higgle called Less is More promotes the degrowth strategy to solving the climate crisis. We all heard Greta Thunberg yell. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction and all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you? And the degrowth strategy has indeed been the favorite strategy of many environmental organizations. The new book is another praise of the Malthusian Club of Rome and their book Limits to Growth and aims to show that all developed countries have got to stop growing in order for us to solve the climate crisis. This book stands in stark contrast to MIT's Andrew McAfee's book with a similar name, More From Less, from October 2019, who claims the exact opposite. As with all extremes, I reckon the answer is somewhere in the middle. And now, climate justice. I've mentioned the floodings in Asia before in this podcast. But this article takes a hugely important view, which is that the global media is almost totally silent about these floodings that occur in the global south. And as the author says, ignoring climate change induced suffering that the world's poor are forced to bear makes it easier to pretend the climate crisis is some far off problems to worry about in the future. But if we look around, it is clear that the climate crisis is here for the people of Bangladesh, India, China, the Bahamas and Mozambique and others around the world.
and now for your listening pleasure, podcasts. My Climate Journey, a members only episode, episode 117, H2 debate with Jean Bertichevsky and Jika Shah. In this episode, Jason connects us with two energy experts, each holding contrarian views of the promise of hydrogen. Jean is bearish and Jika is bullish. The discussion is excellent and it features many good and bad things about hydrogen. And it also goes to show that even experts like Gene and Jigger does not really have the answer to how big green hydrogen will really be. Decouple. Episode Existing Nuclear and Imaginary Nuclear featuring Mark Nelson. This one was eye-opening. Dr. Kiefer and Mark discusses the role of small modular reactors, SMRs, in nuclear. Mark presents an interesting theory that the reason why legislators and nuclear-neutral folks like Generation 4 nuclear technologies like the SMRs is because they don't exist yet. The minute they are close to existing, they will turn on them. Mark mentions briefly a current SMR project that is having trouble getting through the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. In addition, they also touch upon the economics of SMRs, and Mark and Dr. Kieber are both skeptical that the economic of these hold. Finally, they also discuss the proposed closing of Ontario's Pickering Nuclear Generating Station. Drilled. Episode. Big oil finding divestment. I can't wait for the new season of Drilled to start, but until then, Amy has been doing a couple of interviews with key developments around big oil. This week, she discusses a new rule that Trump is instating that makes it harder for financial managers to put money in ESG funds. The new rule makes it a fiduciary duty for financial managers to solely invest with the focus of maximizing return. In other words, Customers that want to invest in ESG, even though it might give a lower return, will have to do so themselves and avoid financial managers. As a response to this, obviously the fossil fuel industry is happy and wrote a letter openly stating that the divestment movement has become a serious problem for the industry. Yay! The Interchange, episode The Wild World of ESG. ESG is a rating system device to help investors identify which companies do well on environmental, social and governance aspects of their business. In this episode, the interchange discusses the impact of ESG, and to be honest, the news is not good. Shell and Steven reveals that depending on which company performs a rating, companies are getting widely different ESG ratings. There's a total lack of standardization and it's frankly, it's more confusing than helpful. In fact, they even speculate that investors are losing faith in the system unless something is done. Energy Gang, episode, What Caused California's Blackouts? I was quite thrilled to see that the three items the gang chose to discuss this week I already brought before you, dear listener, last week. The three topics are California's blackout and who's to blame, India's coal plants, and what we already discussed, the study which shows that air pollution is more damaging than we thought. For California's problem, the gang touches on a key theme that I don't think I found in any other of the coverage, and that is equity. The fact that the citizens that were hit the hardest by the blackouts were black communities. Another interesting discussion is around the demand response and how California is working with the citizens to help do this. They discuss a series of tweets by a guy with a tester battery who observed that his battery was doing before and during the blackouts, which just goes to show that California needs to embrace demand response fast. This is a really good episode, and I could have written the entire newsletter just on this episode. How to Save a Planet Episode The Witch of the Wind When I first saw Gimlet was making a podcast on climate change, I was thrilled. I've always loved that podcast, especially the startup one when they first started out. When I saw the title of it, I became a tiny bit skeptical, 
as it seemed perhaps just a tad clickbaity. Few people who are already active in the climate space know that it's not really the planet that needs saving, but rather humanity and the species it coexists with. And the part about saving humanity is exactly the point they hammer home in this episode. We already mentioned this podcast as our most important article this week, so just go listen to it already. That's it for this week, folks. If you feel like I'm missing something, please let me know on michael at weeklyclimate.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the newsletter if you haven't already and or the podcast if you wish this delivered in your ears every Monday morning. See you all next week.